Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Off the Cuff. I am your host, Chris Martinson of Peak Prosperity here, and we've got a very special episode today. I've been waiting a long time to talk to this guy, Ed Butkowski. Ed, thanks so much for coming here to the program. He is the author of something called the Chapwood Index, which measures inflation, but not in a government-approved way. He does it in a really weird way. He just measures how much things actually cost and compares that to how much they used to cost. Ed, welcome to the show. Well, great. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. So, um, you know, I'm just going to turn to your to your website here a little bit uh, and because um, I love the way you put this. And you said, you know, this is in your about section at the Chapwood Index. It says, I'm tired of observing people commit financial suicide. I firmly believe the government gravely underestimates the national rate of inflation, a number also plagued with bias and statistical manipulation. It's universally assumed that the government's rate of inflation is accurate. It simply isn't um, and that this is going to lead to a lot of trouble. Um, it, so, so how did you come to that view? And then I want to talk about the ways in which you think the government's understating inflation. Well, I'll tell you the way I came about this was my mother, uh, who was dying. I came home to surprise her one day when, and she surprised me and she wasn't home. And I said, you know, when she finally walked in the door, I said, where were you? And she said, I got a job. And I said, why? And she says, because your father didn't adjust my alimony for COLA. And here I was, a financial advisor. I didn't even know what COLA was. I thought, wow, you drink tab. What do you mean COLA? And, and I kind of kid about that. Yeah. But, but she said, no, cost of living adjustment. And so I started looking into it. And there was a guy named Albert Singlinger who had um, an alternative index. And back in 1983, he started calculating what the real cost of living increase was using the old method because the government started to manipulate the way that they changed the, the cost of living adjustment because inflation was rising at such an exorbitant rate that they wanted to keep the increases at a lower number. So they started manipulating that. So Albert Singlinger was really the, the guy that got me going on this. And, and I realized that there was so much manipulation that, that it was just crazy, that the rising cost of living was nowhere close to what the government was putting out there. And the negative unintended consequence of that is this, that people in the private sector get their increases in salaries. And these are middle income and lower income people that normally have salaries that you know, that they get paid are tied to the CPI. Well, if the CPI doesn't go up at a certain rate um, or, or if it goes up at a lower rate, then the amount of money that they have to spend, you know, gets squeezed. So they, they don't have increases in their salaries that are commensurate with how much everything is going up. So I decided that I would do my own index and I did the 50 major cities and I look at every single item that people normally spend money on, and we calculate exactly what those cost of living increases are. And they're usually about double and sometimes two and a half times what the CPI number is. So that that overall basket weight of inflation is is twice as high or more? Yes, absolutely. And And, wow. you know, you have to look at food, you have to look at taxes. You have to look at insurance, shelter, but taxes are one of the biggest things because taxes trickle down into everything. So if you look at 
uh, a lot of blue states, uh, you know, California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, they have the, the highest cost of living increase. It isn't the cost of living that's the problem. It's the cost of living increase that's the problem that people have to focus on. So, you know, a lot of times you see these calculators that say, well, your cost of living, you know, to do this and be here in this city versus this city, you have to make this much more. But it's the increase that is the problem that people have to focus on. All right. So if if, if the government is understating by a factor of, well, let's just call it, they're 100% understate, right? It's like you have to increase the government's by 100% to get up to something closer to true. That compounds against you very, very quickly, right? So if they say it's three and a half percent, but it's seven, they're telling you your your prices are going to double what? It's rule of 72, like every 30-ish years, right? But actually they're going to be doubling if it's 7%? Was that like 10 years, 12 years? Yeah, a, a 7% would be a 10-year double. Um, but 10 you know, years. You, yeah, but, but you also have to look and see the amount of money that people are are you know, being forced to spend. And there's always a threshold of pain that everyone feels. So if you're, if your increase in your salary is 4% and your costs are going up at 8% over a 10 year period, you're 40% behind and everyone has a threshold of pain. And I'll tell you, this is why I think there's a lot of crime out there because every mm-hmm. you know, people are paying their taxes. They're doing everything right. And they continue to fall behind. And this is, again, exactly one of the major reasons why I think a lot of people are trying to find other ways to create wealth. And um, and sometimes they fall victim to crimes because of this. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, kind of throw out a conspiracy, but, but uh, you know, you have a lot of good, hardworking people in, in inner mm-hmm. cities that are doing everything right, and they're still falling further and further behind because of the manipulation of the CPI. Yeah, now this is something I've covered with my audience a bit, but I want to go over it just briefly again. So some of this tricks, uh, this is uh, courtesy of the Boskin Commission, if I have that right. Hedonic, substitution, waiting. Uh, let's just pick one. Um, my health insurance bill for my family, healthy family, goes up. I think my lightest in the past five years was a 14.5% increase. My worst was a 23.5% increase for health insurance. To me, that's my proxy cost for actual health care costs for me, not, not including, you know, CEO profits at these rapacious companies. But leaving that aside, um, my government tells me that health costs have been going up around 35 to 3.8% per year. How, right. how do, what, what's the difference? How do, they, how do they get away with that? They, they sit there and they, they play weird games. Uh, you know, I don't know all the details on, on exactly what they do with healthcare, but obviously there's games that are being played because those are the true out-of-pocket expenses that you have. But they will manipulate it and say that, well, you know, you didn't get this benefit, so we're not going to add that on to your cost of living increase or the cost of insurance. Uh, The same thing happens with hamburgers and steaks. They'll say, you know, steak prices might have doubled, but you could have had a hamburger and hamburgers don't go up as much. So we're going to replace the steak with the hamburger and and then have, you know, that that price only go up 3%. Uh, And they continue to and this is a Republican and Democrat thing, because both Mm -hmm. parties want the amount of money being paid out to be lower. And this started again in 83. Um, It was again done in 94 under the Boskin Commission, uh, a professor from Stanford. And so but the unattended and I keep going back to this, the unintended negative consequences are just 
so damaging and it and the ripple is huge and and you can't imagine how much bigger you know this you know problem is going to be because they continue to do it and even right now you have social security benefits are going to increase 3% next year my oh. goodness I mean, only 3% when the real cost of living increase is about 8 or 9%, and it's going to go higher if we continue to see fuel prices go higher. So- Which they will. That's a whole other story for me. But I just I just tweeted a picture out. We, we went to the grocery store. Single layer, single layer of things. And I know we had to buy a couple of expensive things, but it was, I'm actually experiencing sticker shock for the first time in my life, right? This was $285. I've had I've had as much as $500 in a shopping cart without any trouble whatsoever, right? You know, and I like to eat from the edges of the store, not the center, but that's me. You know, it's a little bit more expensive, but um, it's, it's, uh, it's shocking now. Right. And so part of that unintended consequence with that level of shock, people start eating lesser and lesser grades of food, less vegetables, less fresh meat, less, you know, things like that. Right. So it's going to have health consequences. Of course, all the worry and stress that goes with it. So, with that, I'm looking at your list here. These are actually shocking. You have your top cities here. I'm looking at the Chapwood Index on your site at um, chapwoodindex.com. First half of 2021 through the first half of 2022, New York City had an 18.44% rate of inflation topping the list. But all the way down number 10, we're still at a, uh, 18%. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of high double digits on here. Yeah, and that was back in 2022. Um, but you know, we, we've seen prices come down and go up, but those are the real costs to a person who is a $50,000 income producer. Uh, That's what the real costs are to these people. And there's just no way around it. Uh, That's just the way it is. And, you know, the government will continue to try to, you know, camouflage what they're really doing. And they're very, very good at it. And people just accept this. But when, when it's time for you to get a salary increase, and someone looks at you and says, well, the CPI is, you know, 4% and we're going to give you 5%. Well, they just spit in your face about 5%. And again, over a 10-year period, you're 50% behind uh, where, mm. where you should be. And, you know, that's why we have such stress in, in the economy uh, because of this. And, you know, Biden will say that he's building from the inside out, you know, the, the economy. Well, you know, you, you've got to change everything. To, to really get people to where you need them to be. And sadly, a lot of people cannot afford the lifestyles that they have come to grow accustomed to. And that's, that's you know, your retirees are, are a huge target for this. The retirees, you know, as I said a second ago about the social security benefits are gonna be, you know, hurt and, and cut quite a bit. Um, or, or not go up like they should be going up. You have uh, retirees that every single year, you know, are getting shaved a little bit more. That's why Christmas presents from your grandparents are not as good as they used to be. And and the birthday checks are smaller every year. It's not because grandma and grandpa don't want to pay. They just cannot afford to. Understood. And, and I've seen people and heard stories now of, of people seeing elderly people in the store making decisions, you know, can, can we afford a chicken for dinner with the family this Sunday? And, and, you know, it's getting hard and harder. And, and this is really corrosive on a, on a culture, on a society. I mean, our money is our contract. It's our glue and we're being gaslit. You're telling me we're, we're, we're being systematically and consistently lied to. I won't even call it a fib, right? This isn't like some statistical, he said, she said, 
they're overtly manipulating the statistics to make things seem better than they actually are. And it crosses administrations. So it's not it's not a, a, a left right kind of a thing, is it? Yeah, you said it perfectly. We're being gaslit. I mean, just look at uh, the cost of goods uh, over since I, I can't remember what time period. I think it's since Biden took office, but it's up 16 percent. And, you know, that does not, you know, fig figure into exactly what the CPI numbers are. Um, the CPI numbers are significantly less than that. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, so anytime the CPI numbers come out, I just kind of laugh at them because they really don't reflect the true out-of-pocket costs that people spend. Uh, you know, look, you, you look at taxes, you look at your insurance, as you said a second ago, um, you know, and, and obviously fuel, uh, you know, and anything at all is going up a lot higher. And then when they play those games, like with a cell phone, and they say, well, your cell phone costs have come down because you get more out of your cell phone. But that doesn't change the fact that you're still spending the money. And it's still out of pocket. So that's what I try to do with the Chapwood Index is just try to be very clear and real with people about what their true costs are versus the manipulation that the BLS does. I love that. So let, let's uh, help me understand this. You said uh, for an average person living in a city, you just add stuff up and there's a list, a basket of 200 things. Just take us through the top. Like, like what's actually at the top of that list for most people? Shelter, uh, then insurance and taxes. Um, those are the three top items and they represent a, a big part of it. And, you know, so you'll just look at shelter, you know, recently, you know, it's, it, what is it up about, you know, 20%, uh, rents are in New York city are at their highest level ever. Uh, you know, it's, it's, th those are the three items and taxes, you know, the, the taxes are, you know, kind of hidden. You know, there's just, you know, a little bit of shoplifting all the time. Taxes just go up a tiny bit, just a little bit, just like with toll plazas. You know, a toll might go up from 50 cents to 60 cents. Well, you know, that's a percentage gain and and that gets trickled down onto your life. And all of these things start to add up after a while. So, you know, each city is different. So I can't go through every single city with you, but those are the major things. Uh, you know, we have restaurants uh, cost uh, for food going out. And, you know, we try to do our best to model what a typical uh, $50,000 a year person would be spending their money on. Well, that's a great approach. So um, you mentioned before blue states, California, Illinois, uh, New Jersey, et cetera. Uh, is there any, is there any difference in, in the tax burdens that you see between the different states that sort of segregates along that, or does it not fall out that way? Well, you, you see the, the cities in California are far and away the worst when it comes to the increases. Uh, Illinois, uh, you know, Chicago being the, the major city there is just horrible with its tax increases. And then New York and New Jersey, you know, are, are you know, pitiful. So, so those add quite a bit to the cost of living increases. Then when you look at Florida and, uh, and Texas and, you know, Tennessee, those cost of living increases are not as great. Although there are tax increases on on property taxes, but when it comes to the state income tax, it's not that great. Well, this is interesting because you know those blue states tell us that what they care about is is equity and uh, a lot of equality, and of course taxes are regressive, meaning that they preferentially uh, and increase you know they damage they damage the the poorer you are, the worse they are, right? Because 
Um, even though my income tax might be graduated by income, gasoline tax doesn't graduate. It doesn't care if I earn a billion or a, or a penny. It, they don't care, right? So, so are you suggesting that these blue states are are um, saying this but doing that and not really living up to their words? Yeah, just just look at the state income tax for California. I mean, at the highest level, I think it's twelve point nine percent. I think that's what my memory has. That's thirteen just state, nine now. It's thirteen nine. Okay. Yep. So just the state income tax alone, then you add that to the federal income tax, and then if you have a city tax like in Los Angeles or San Francisco, I mean, my goodness, what are you paying? About sixty sixty five percent of your money goes to taxes. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. Well, um, you know, those homeless people don't just, well, yeah, they do. They just sleep wherever they want. So (laughs) no, it's, well, no, this is, this is a really important thing to me because, because again, our money is our social contract. It's it's just an idea. It's not actually tangible. So it's an agreement. It's an enforced social contract that carries a lot of our social trust. And because of that, I, I, you know, when I do decry things, Ned, I get a little spicy about this, but, you know, when, you know, Jerome Powell and before him, Janet Yellen, before her, you know, Ben Bernanke just came out and spouted platitudes about, you know, price stability and full employment, but they were just printing like crazy, right? We went from 2008, an $800 billion Federal Reserve balance sheet to 2009, they'd basically gone to 2.2 trillion. I mean, this was like an entire country's worth of history of money printing. And then we just almost tripled that you know, in, in a, in about a year. And that was astonishing, but that was just the beginning. Right. And it's just gone on and on and on ever since. And then they get up there and they shrug and they go, Oh yeah, it's terrible. This wealth gap (laughs) that we have, of course they printed it into existence and they're printing the middle-class out of existence. It feels like we ought to have a conversation about that at at the national level. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, you look at the money supply the money supply, you know, the increase in the money supply, you know, it goes hand in hand with inflation. Um, and, you know, and that's the stated inflation rate, let alone, you know, what the real cost of living increase is. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it gets really wonky for a lot of people. And that's why the press doesn't cover it. Um, you know, a lot of times, because I, I was at uh, Fox News as a contributor for, for many years, and I would see that headlines just get repeated. A lot of these people in the news, they don't even know what they're writing. They just continue to take a press release, rewrite the headline, and just you know publish the story. So, so you'll see all these different outlets just republishing the same story, and they don't take any time to dive into it and really take an understanding of what these concepts are about. And money printing you know, is, is a huge uh, situation, and it, it's, it, it's incredibly inflationary. And it does, you know, hurt the middle class and lower income people even worse than it does the you know people who are quote the one percenters, um, you know. But you know this this is something that the press will never cover in you know quite to the level that it should. Well, possibly because the press is owned by the same people who really benefited the most from that from that printing. You know, I'm not sure Jeff Bezos has a really compelling interest to have the Washington Post go out and um, cover this too deeply. <laughs> oh, Sheldon Adelson, he he had the Las Vegas uh, newspaper um, yeah. prior to his death. And that, that was one that I know, you know, tried to be a little right leaning. But the majority of the press, you know, is just incredibly left leaning. And, you know, but again, this issue is not a, a 
a Republican Democrat thing. It it really is something that is ingrained in our government to keep that number as low as possible. And, and until we have somebody, you know, I always want to do a 60 minute segment just on this subject to expose it because it has to be exposed. People need to understand that the government number is just not accurate at all. And and if we could make it accurate, though, wouldn't that kind of blow the budget up? Wouldn't that be the argument? Because they did a COLA adjustment last year of 8.3%. I think you're suggesting this year is going to be around 3 If they had to double that, we already know Congressional Budget Office, December 22, told us that the Social Security Trust Fund, which is a bunch of IOUs, there's no money in it, but Right. The paper um, in there runs out by 2033. That's that's like tomorrow in, in, in these sorts of things. Right. So um, if they had to actually keep pace with inflation, wouldn't that just blow our budget up? It would blow up everything in this country. I mean, you know, because if you think about, you know, the increases, if it was double whatever the stated number was. So let's just call it, you know, six percent you know, six percent on the Social Security budget and Medicare and Medicaid. I mean, that's astronomical numbers. So then we would have to print more money and then we'd have to borrow more money from other countries. And we realized that, as as Governor Perry said many years ago, that Social Security is a Ponzi scheme. Um, and, and, and it really is. Uh, we, we've got, we're, we're just completely insolvent. And once people start to understand that, you know, We'll, we'll, you know, there should be, you know, marching in the streets and we should somehow, you know, get the people to understand this so we can correct it. But until then, it's not going to get corrected. And it's only going to get worse. When you say insolvent, that sounds like uh, we have a math problem and that um, this uh, ultimately uh, goes sideways on us. What take us through that? What would that what, what would actually happen if insolvency went the next stage and turned into bankruptcy? Well, the whole country you know, we would see interest rates skyrocket because nobody would loan, you know, borrow money from us because our credit wouldn't be that good. How we're at a double A plus is beyond me. We should be, you know, if you were if you were to take the United States and make it a corporation, mm -hmm. uh, I think I think we'd be rated about a single C, um, if if not worse than that. Um, but because we can print money, you know, now we're at a double A plus. But you'd have you know, police wouldn't get funded, military wouldn't be funded, government wouldn't be funded, nothing would be funded because we would be insolvent. We would have no money at all. Well, that uh, that makes it sound a little bit like Venezuela or something. Um, now, recently, uh, Jerome Powell was in front of the Senate, and I think it was Cynthia Loomis out of Wyoming said, hey, is the debt a problem? And he's very political he said no 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 the, the the debt the debt as it is is not a problem but the rate at which we're accumulating debt is a problem because of course he's not wrong we're accumulating debt at say eight or nine percent a year and our economy's growing it's i'll be generous three right so we have mm -hmm. a compounding problem right where the debts are constantly growing faster than income and that's been true since 1970 71 august 15th to get real precise but i mean it's you know it's 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 something that's been going on. So even Jerome Powell says we're on an unsustainable trajectory. Who's again? Yeah. This feels like something we should be taking more seriously. Yeah, we 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 absolutely should be. And one of the things that gets to me is when they start to show the debt as a percentage of our GDP. Well, mm -hmm. you know, 
I don't know where that number comes from. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, some of the European countries, they have a worse debt to their GDP. But I'm looking at the actual number and the interest that we are obligated to pay. And we're almost at a trillion dollars a year of debt that we, interest that we have to pay on our debt. And we're only bringing in about four and a half trillion dollars, and we have to pay about one trillion in interest. So that has nothing to do with our GDP as a percentage of debt. That has to do with how much tax revenue we're bringing in, and you know, and and now we're adding to it, which you know makes it even worse. So we're going to add a, maybe another three to four trillion to our long-term debt. You know, so we'll be at forty trillion before you know it. So the percentage gain of our GDP, as Jerome Powell has said, you know, that is concerning, but he should be really concerned about the out-of-pocket that we're supposed to be paying for this interest. And then if we start to default and if our rating goes even lower, our interest rate is going to go higher than where it is now. So we're going to have to pay even more money. And then it's just going to be a negative ripple effect uh, throughout. It's going to be just a huge problem. Well, if that happens, what I mean, we're once you're in, you're at this state of insolvency, but you have a printing press, you really only have two options, right? One is you go through austerity and default, live below your means, tighten your belt, do all that. The other is you try and print your way out of it. Come on. We always, everybody always tries printing first, right? Is, is that not the most likely path here? Well, that's exactly what, you know, I remember Geithner uh, recommending to the European countries, just print more money. Um, and and get ourselves out of this. And that was the idea, just print and print and and what could go wrong, right? I mean, my goodness. Yeah, what, what could go wrong? Timothy Geithner, one of my, uh, again, a big fan, um, not. So, uh, so it, but as, as we look at this, so if you see all this printing coming, so so one, people can know that their inflation is is higher than advertised. And I think that's very comforting to know and it helps people plan a little bit more and maybe even hopefully, uh, ask for more in terms of wage increases because you know hopefully they can arm themselves with your real data and say no this is what I'm experiencing uh, I live in San Francisco twelve percent you know this is hard um, but but second of all how 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 would people tell us maybe it's personal how do you go about protecting yourself from future inflation well the only way to do that is to make more money um, I I tell people all the time when I do my planning, because I'm a wealth manager, when I do planning for people, I use six, seven percent for their cost of living increase. I don't use the CPI number and I show them what their real issue is, not what they I don't tell them what's going to make them feel good. I tell them the facts and what the truth is. And a lot of people you know, cannot afford to retire. Or if they do retire and they're trying to live off of whatever they have saved, I encourage them to get, quote, a side hustle, find another way to make some additional money, or they have mm -hmm. to cut back. Um, but one way or the other, what you can't do is lay, you know, lay out a plan for somebody that you know is not sustainable. Uh, in my mind, you know, being a wealth advisor, that, that would be, you know, financial malpractice. So you know, it, it's a very difficult thing to have that conversation with people, uh, especially when you're looking at somebody who's 70 years old and telling them that they cannot afford to retire. Um, you know, they 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 don't want to hear it, but they need to hear it because we got to tell people the truth. Yeah, my um my property taxes where I live now and, you know, I, I live on a little bit of land, but it's just nothing, nothing too extraordinary here um, are are higher now on a monthly basis than my first mortgage. Now I'm a little older, but my first mortgage was at 12 and a half percent as well. But my first house cost 
113,000, right? Everything was just different when I was growing up. I actually, and I feel pretty, I, I feel bad for kids today, kids, 20, 20, 30 year olds, old people trying to figure out how to form households because what the Federal Reserve did under Bernanke is they said, look, we can't have house prices go down. We know that we fostered a bubble, but we can't let them go down. So what he was really saying is existing homeowners, we're going to reward you. But gosh, these people who are thinking of starting and forming a household, sorry, right? So it's basically, that was a generational throw, a generation under the bus. I don't remember electing the Federal Reserve, and I don't remember reading about how they went to school for social engineering. But are they not experimenting with generations with their policies here? Well, of course they are. I mean, I mean, they're they're playing games with with everybody. And, you know, like I have a 25 year old son and a 28 year old daughter. Uh, both of them are thinking about starting families. And my daughter the other day, we went looking for houses and the with the mortgage rates where they are and what they can afford to to get. You know, there's no justification for them buying that house. Um, and, you know, my my son, he's in a different situation, uh, but, you know, they're both in, in that, you know, age zone that you just talked about. And the Federal Reserve is really going to price them out of any kind of uh, sustainable living uh, that they can do based on also what they're making. They both make over $100,000 a year, um, but they cannot afford to really buy a house right now. They just can't do it. Are you starting to, I mean, maybe you had a conversation with your own son and daughter, but are you starting to see, well, let me ask it this way. Is there a chance that these things we're talking about are at least partly help us understand the migration patterns we've been seeing lately, California losing people, Tennessee, Florida, Texas gaining people. Are, are people moving because of, are, are there economic refugees out there floating around our country now? Well, there's a lot of people who are just in droves getting away from California. Um, and and we are experiencing here in Texas influx of people from California, and they're able to buy a lot more than they could back there. Um, I mean, there's this one couple that lives on our street that moved in, and her father bought her the house because he had so much extra money from the sale of his house in California that uh, her father bought her this house right on our street and, and not a cheap house either. Um, so there's, there's a huge influx of people who are taking advantage of selling their houses in California and moving to Texas. Uh, New York, we're, and I'm from New York, but we're not getting a lot of people from New York down here. But California, this seems to be the second place that people are going to from California. I wonder where those people from New York are going, because I know they have net migration patterns outward as well. They're going to Florida, Florida. Well, you stay east then, I guess. But um, yeah, and and uh, so New York has got a lot of legislative issues going on. Um, you know, one of the other things I do is I track energy, energy policy a lot. And so New York has decided in their infinite wisdom that they are going to they have legislatively outlawed updating and building new gas peaker plants because they want to force this transition to green energy. Yeah. Um, this is the Cortez burn the boat strategy, right? Like, oh, let's just. Let's just dismantle our existing energy system. That'll force people to march through the jungle they don't want to go through, right? Um, I think this is going to be very, very bad. And I'm counseling people as, as hard as this is to, to leave now while they can't. I actually think any state that hobbles itself with really bad tax policy and energy policy is just is is just got, uh, it's going to be a tough place to live for a long time. And I'd throw Chicago into that mix. Yeah, the 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 idea of getting rid of gas 
stoves is 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 punitive. I mean, it's just an absolutely crazy idea. And you then you think about how they're going to you know implement this new rule and regulation. And you look at restaurants. I mean, restaurants are not going to you know be able to go to electric stoves. Um, and and then you think about what is the true benefit of this. And when people start to really dissect what the real benefit is, they're going to say, well, my goodness, there's there's really no benefit here whatsoever. They're just trying to mm-hmm. be intrusive in our lives. Um, you know, uh, the energy policies in, in New York, it's it's not just the energy policies. It's, it's just about everything in New York uh, is, is, you know, upside down. And the idea that, you know, and I'm a New Yorker, uh, I, I go back up there, you know, many times every year, and that whole city has just turned upside down. The filth, the trash, the attitude of people, uh, the taxes, the costs, everything out there uh, is just horrendous. And I used to be a really proud New Yorker, uh, but I'm not anymore. I, I I find it just disgusting up there. Well, I, I agree. And, and um, you know, I've got I live up here in Massachusetts. So I'm not that far away. And, and I've got some good friends down there. But last time I was there, which wasn't that long ago, and right on Fifth Ave, storefronts are all boarded up, right? Yep. And when I talked to people, I knew somebody who just left who was a business owner, and they're like, oh, the regulations are just killing them, and they just got worse and worse and worse. You would think eventually somebody in that regulatory department would go, these storefronts being boarded up is bad. Let's lighten up. Nope. They're doubling down. Um <laughs> Yep. Yep. And, and if you go to Madison Avenue, because Madison Avenue from 50th up to the 72nd, there's it's all for sale or rents like they're they're all empty. And and that that is shouldn't be surprising to anybody, given that they aren't even trying to bring the cost down. They're actually increasing the amount of money that these things are going to be rented out at. Like and and they're not looking at the fact that people are doing more things online now and so so again who is in charge of new york is really the question you know who is the leader there and you've had just you know blue mayor after blue mayor after blue mayor and this is the reason why we have such a a horrible situation in new york because nobody is in charge nobody who understands economics and policies and how people migrate you know, are there. And and then when you think about how many people have left New York, they're going to have to increase taxes just to get back to the revenue models that they had projected. So they're going to have to increase taxes on the people who have stayed there just to get enough money to pay for what they have already, you know, uh, represented that they're going to be spending. So it's going to be even a harder uh, burden on the people who have stayed there. Uh, I, I, I would not live there. Well, now, um, so we've talked about the, you know, it's obvious the the effective inflation on a private citizen with a $50,000 salary. Uh, often it's not really taught. I don't read a lot of articles about the other side of that. What is the effective inflation on uh, government? Um, what do you buy mean things? That? Well, you know, the government of New York, the municipal government, they have to pay oh. for things. Oh right. yeah, they 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 absolutely do, and and it's not manipulated there. So if you you know, I, I actually did a study recently on college costs because I do not believe that colleges are taking advantage of people. I believe that if you look at the college tuition, they're they're being forced to pay what is the real cost. You know, you look at 
Uh, yeah. Look at real estate. You look at salaries. You look at healthcare. And I haven't finished the study yet, but I've been looking at it, and it's the real costs. And those things get passed on to the people who are paying the tuition. So everyone who says that college costs are a lot more um, and that colleges are taking advantage of people, I don't believe that. And I don't believe that's the case with government because the government has to pay whatever you know prices are out there. Uh, so, you know, if you look at government costs, they're going up a lot more than 3%. Uh, you know, they're going to go up 8, 9, 10% a year. But it depends on which part of the government and what, you know, what, you know, products you're looking at. But fuel, they're not immune to paying more for fuel. They're not immune to paying more for insurance uh, and food for their, you know, for, you know, if they, if they, you know, are paying for, you know, anybody to eat. Uh, I guess I imagine, you know, I, I guess a police office, police station with people getting fed. Uh, you know, I, I don't really know, you know exactly how the government works in that respect, but they're not immune to the rising costs of goods, uh, just like uh, colleges aren't. That's an interesting idea that colleges may reflect, actually. So we I've you know, people have been beating on them. I might have cast a few aspersions their way because. You know, inflation's allegedly going up at three percent, but they're compounding at seven percent. But you're saying maybe they're closer to to, they're just doing what they need to do because that's closer to accurate. Right. Colleges are mini USA's. They're mini United States. They have, they have shelter. They have taxes. They have food. They have lawn care. They have fuel, and all of those costs are real dollar for dollar costs. So when you look at a budget. For a college, they're they're not being manipulated down lower. It's the real cost. So that's why colleges have increased at about eight to nine percent a year because they're many United States. That's exactly <laughs> the, so. So when they get you know trounced on, you know, saying well they're charging so much more because the government is uh, allowing you know them to get bailed out uh, by the tuition uh, thing that Biden is doing. I don't believe mm -hmm. that's the case. Uh, I don't believe that they're charging more money. In fact, the University of Arkansas uh, lost some of their government funding, and they get $322 million just to break even by the state. So if you really look at it, the colleges are not you know, uh, trying to take advantage of people. They're just trying to stay alive. I, I can understand that. And of course, some of them aren't anymore. Um, you know, We've seen more and more small colleges folding up shop at this point in time. So that that's interesting that that represents closer to reality. All right. So um, so for the people out there who are, you know, I feel terrible for these young people who are like crying into their TikTok videos saying I can't make it right because they're being gaslit, right? They're being told that they should be able to make it. And some of them are actually earning more than their parents had dreamed of coming out of college. 50, 60,000 still not sufficient, right? Because as you said, shelter, taxes, insurance. So on that last part to close up um, the show, I'm, I'm intrigued because this has been a lot of headlines. Uh, I hope you can cast some light on it. So people, well, obviously, you know why Florida homeowner insurance, they say, well, we can't afford, it's too too catastrophic down here. So we got to leave. But um, auto insurance, 18, 19% increase this year, I think. Pretty yeah. drastic. Do you know what's, have you looked into that, Ed? Do you know what's driving that? I do. I do not. Uh, I have not looked into it, but it doesn't surprise me that it's up so much. Um, it's not as though we have a lot of, you know, poor drivers now. Um, so I don't know what the reason for that is, but, but that definitely is something if, you know, my kids, I think are still on my insurance. Um, 
So I have to look into that with my wife. Uh, but I, I, I do believe that, you know, that's just another one of those non-manipulative statistics that has to be added in to when you really look at what the true cost, out-of-pocket cost for everybody is. And, you know, 18%, you know, I, I don't know what insurance would be, but my guess is it's about $200 a month. Uh, so, you know, there's $2,400 a year of, out of a $50,000 salary. I mean, that, that could end up being about, you know, six, 7% of somebody's net income. And if that goes up, you know, 18% next year, think about what that's going to do. And you're, if your salary isn't up that much, you know, to any young person out there, you got to cut back on what you spend, which is not a good for the economy. And you got to get rid of your credit card debt because that's not good for you. And you got to live a lot smaller. And that's the big problem out there is that people have to get smaller or make a lot more money. Yeah, I, unfortunately, that's it. So side hustles and and figuring out how to have multiple streams of income. And this is something I, I work on uh, very much as I'm preaching all the time, Ed. I want people to achieve financial freedom, which to me is when your passive income can cover what you consider to be your your threshold for living expenses. Then you have freedom, right? And things can happen and you still are, are good to go. But just getting there is a lot harder than it used to be for a lot of folks because, you know, if you if you are spending, ah, I was just listening to some poor person out of the UK and this woman was saying to the interviewer that 75% of her income goes out the door just for rent and food. Right now, wow. London's very expensive and they have really suppressed median wages over there. I don't know how they get by on this stuff, but if you're spending 75% just on those two items, right, there's no way you can get ahead. You know, you're, you're no way at all. I, I sit here and wonder myself how I'm ever going to be able to retire. Um, and I truly do. I, I reflect on, you know, the lifestyle that we have and try to figure out, you know, how I can, you know, put enough money aside and have that grow to be able to take care of my 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 lifestyle and i don't know how i'm going to do it being very honest interesting yeah. yeah no it's certainly not easy and and that's the part that um i i decry in this whole thing because you know i i run these long time series on inflation statistics and i've got this one time series that starts in 1665 and outside of the wars right so you had the revolutionary war 1812 etc the the price was dead stable for almost 240 years meaning you could have you could have worked, put some money, we'll call it gold coins, in a in a coffee can in the in the, your yard, right? And a hundred years later, if you live that long, it would still have the same purchasing power. So you could plan, right? Businesses can plan, individuals can plan. That's the number one thing. It's very difficult to plan in an imperfect environment, but when you have bad data, it makes the planning almost impossible. So that's why I think your approach is right. You have to use a, a six seven percent rate to to uh, for inflation, whatever the government is, double that. And so uh, I really want to thank you for putting together the Chapwood Index. It, it looks like a lot of work. Uh, so important. Thank you for doing it. Absolutely. Thanks. Appreciate you having me, Chris. All right. Well, be well. And it's, uh, I'm going to send people to chapwoodindex.com. Anywhere else you'd like people to, to go and follow you? Well, chapwoodinvestments.com uh, is my uh, business. And if anybody wants to have a, a thorough analysis on their investment portfolio, I call myself an investologist where I study the efficiencies of portfolios. And uh, if you want a real clear-eyed view of what you have, uh, just reach out to me. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. And um, keep doing what you do. Really appreciate it, Ed. Great. Thanks for having me, Chris.